0: I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole Hmm? I can see it in your eyes I'm trying to free your mind Nia. you take the red pill you stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes remember all I'm offering is the truth I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! What truth. That you are a
1: slave in you.
0: Try to understand
1: this! 20-year-olds fall in and out of love more often than they change their oil filters, which they should do more often. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. You have to let it all
0: go, you know? Fear, doubt, disbelief. Free
1: your mind. It doesn't matter who we are. No one cared who I was till I put on the mask. How do you define real? You stay
0: in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. After this, there is no turning back.
2: Are we clear? Crystal. the beauty harbored
1: there. I try to You've been making your bed every morning hello and welcome to third degree mind episode number three this is the third week since i started this podcast i think i'm enjoying this uh more than i originally thought that i would like i said uh, a couple weeks ago when i in the first episode i kind of went back and forth for actually a long time whether or not i wanted to do this i wondered if i'd have any listeners? I wondered if we'd get uh, if we'd get an audience or not. I wondered about all those things. Today, three weeks in, uh, we're in nine states, according to most recent time that I looked at statistics through my podcast provider, Podbean. According to Podbean, we have listeners in nine different states, so we're we're growing fast. We're gaining li- uh, new listeners, new downloads every day. So. I love it. It's great. I hope you enjoy listening. I hope you get something out of it. If there's ever anything specific that you want discussed on the program, feel free to reach out at any time. Borderline750 at gmail.com. Borderline750 at gmail.com. Last week we talked about a number of different things, but I gave you that advice from that Navy Admiral to make your bed every day. It's been a couple weeks since I started doing it every day. How are you doing? Have you been doing it every day since, uh, since, at least since the last week? If you are, do you find it beneficial? Do you find it helpful? For me, I think uh, one of the things that's most beneficial about it, uh, which he mentioned, is worst case scenario, you have a miserable day, and you come home to a bed that's made, and of course... It's a bed that you made. And you get that small sense of encouragement that tomorrow will be better. Pain is temporary. Suffering is temporary. When you have a bad day, that's temporary. You go to bed, you put that bad day to bed. You put that bad day to bed. So this week I have some encouraging words for you that we're going to start off with. Uh, This was shared with me by a friend over Facebook. And I think it's great.
0: I've had to do a clearing in my life of some people whose energy I realized was not supportive of who I wanted to be in the world. And I recognize there are people who are not going to take responsibility for their energy. So I now have to take responsibility for the energy that I allow to be brought into my space, life-changing for me. And what I know is that you cannot continue to move forward in your life to the level And level and level that you need to be if you're surrounded by energy that brings you down, that sucks the life force from you. So not only are you responsible for the energy that you bring, is what I learned, you're also responsible for the energy that you surround yourself with. Huge, 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 huge. And everybody who's watching me right now, I know that you know this is true. There are some energy suckers in your life. just literally taking the life force out of you and you will never be able to do and be who you're supposed to be in the world as long as you continue to buy into the energy suckers
1: oprah's not an idiot she has some good points there removing those negative people from your life so you have to look at your life and you have to figure out who are those energy suckers who are the people that need to go and it's not about running from problems. It's about getting rid of people that bring you down. Because like Oprah says, you're, you become responsible for those people's negative energy too, not just your own. If you surround yourself with negativity, you will be miserable. If you surround yourself with happiness, you'll be happy. That's something that you have to, again, just like we talked about last week, that's a conscious decision. You have to look at those people in your life and figure out who are the negative influences, and you have to be able to remove yourself from them. You have to remove them from your life. I got married young. I got married at 21. And we were together uh, just shy of 10 years. We, we uh, split in year 9. But out of those ten years, probably two or three were actually positive and good. Of course, my phone is blowing up now that I actually sat down to record this. I told you a little bit about my experiences with her uh, a couple weeks ago in that first episode of the podcast. talked about her. I talked about why it was difficult for me to remove her from my life, even though I recognized how negative she was. And looking back on it all, a lot of the a lot of the anger because I, I couldn't work with I couldn't resolve and work with the anger that I had towards her. A lot of it, looking back on this now, I can see a lot of it I think was redirected at other people in my life. I just had a short fuse because i was so angry internally with her but i couldn't reconcile that anger we went to counseling over and over again and i got angry with myself i was angry with her i was angry with the counselor but eventually that anger became so internalized and so within myself that it would come out uh Directed at other people that were completely not tied to the situation at all, maybe not even aware of the situation. This all happened in Milwaukee before I moved away from Wisconsin. And one of the reasons, one of the things I've come to realize, I've been in Vegas close to five years now. And one of the things I've come to realize is that when I left or when I started looking to leave Wisconsin, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily that I was running towards something, that I wanted to come to Vegas, or I wanted another place I looked at was New York. It's not that I wanted to go to those places, but it was that I wanted to get away from Wisconsin. I came to a place that I knew nobody. I had no connections to Las Vegas. I had no family here, no friends here, nothing. It was a way to get away from everybody in my life that was negative except the one person who was the actual root of all that negativity, which was my wife because she moved here with me. That short fuse that I had was making me so angry with my own family and my friends that I had there that at a certain point. I just decided to get away from all of that. It was that redirected anger and not really realizing who I was angry with and why. Coming to Vegas was a way for me to get away from the negativity, but the irony is that I brought that negativity with me because my ex-wife did come with. And that's why I think it's important that you look at your family, and your friends, and those people that are close to you in life because sometimes you're angry with them, but you might actually have uh, that redirected or misdirected anger that I'm talking about where your anger is actually from someone else. So you have to have a, a, uh, an honest conversation with yourself to figure out who those negative people really are and make sure that you're not... Misdirecting anger from somebody else uh, towards those people because the people that are closest to you are the ones that are going to draw the strongest emotions from you. Someone who I don't care about has a limited ability to affect me internally. I might have borderline personality disorder. I might be very overreactive in situations. It might be very easy to manipulate my emotions, things like that. But only for people that mean something to me. If someone doesn't mean anything to me, it's difficult for that person to get a reaction out of me. So who are the people that mean the most to you? For most for most people, that would be their family. Not always, but usually family, or at least certain members of their family are the ones that mean the most to them. So those are the people that have the ability to hurt you the deepest. And I think in order to look at your family truly honestly, I think it starts with looking at how you were brought up. It starts with how your family treated you. How you treated them. Rules that you had to abide by in your household when you were growing up. Uh, Ways that you found to circumvent those rules. Maybe curfew rules, different things like that. How did you get away with stuff? What did your parents do if they caught you? All those things. All those things. All those things are all important things that happen in childhood, adolescence, uh, especially teenage years. And they affect you as you go into adulthood because they create who you are. Your personality is not unchangeable. It's actually very impressionable. But as you get older, as you grow into adulthood, it becomes more and more difficult to influence or affect those, those changes. Those are things that happen in your younger years. The, the reason that everybody's different is because everybody was brought up different. So I want to talk a little bit about those family dynamics. I'm going to talk a little bit about my family. And then I'm going to ask you to think about your own family and how, how it may have affected your growing up and your going into adulthood, uh, teenage years, things like that. So I have three siblings. I have an older sister, younger brother, and a younger sister. And all four of us are very different. All four of us are very different. Uh, My older sister is the very strong personality type. Very extroverted. Always was that way, Uh, you know. And when we were growing up, she was always the one that had all the friends. She She had more friends than, I think, any of my other siblings combined. She always had something to do. She always had someone to go see. Very outgoing. And as she went into adulthood, that kind of stuck with her. Even still today, she is probably the most outgoing of the four of us. And she has a very strong personality that when we were growing up, uh, it was very easy to butt heads with her. She likes to argue. She likes to be right, very, very strong personality type. And when she doesn't get her way, especially when we were younger, when she didn't get her way, she would make her anger known in a number of ways. And that was, that was my older sister. My younger sister is uh, kind, of the, kind of the exact opposite of that uh, in, in a lot of ways. She was always the quiet type. Uh, she had friends, but she had a small circle of friends. So she was more the, I'm going to pick a few people that are super important to me and I'm going to spend a lot of time with them. So she would go out a lot, but always with the same, especially when we were younger, like uh high school age and whatever, she would always go out with that same core group of two or three friends. So she was outgoing, but not to the degree of my older sister. She was more the, I'm going to keep a few people close to me. And she was never the confrontational type. So again, very opposite from my older sister, not confrontational at all. She would tend to back down from arguments, uh, even still to this day. Not very confrontational, and when something comes up that would create some type of conflict or something, she usually has nothing to say, just kind of backs down. And, and lets things go. She's more of the, I guess, go with the flow type backseat role. So very opposite from older sister. Younger brother, I think, is the most similar to me. Uh, I think he and I are, are fairly similar in, in a lot of ways. We both tend to be more on the introverted side. And... A lot of things that I talk about uh, on the program, even here, talking about uh, writing a lot, uh, things like that. Uh, that introspective side, uh, I think he and I share, at least to a degree. That's maybe that's maybe I'm completely off on that, but that's that's kind of my opinion that I think he and I are. We look at the world the same. We look at people the same. We look at relationships the same. We have a lot of like philosophical conversations and. We seem to see eye-to-eye on a lot of things like that, so we're more, I guess, the thinking type as opposed to my two sisters who are more like the action or doing types. And when we were growing up, my brother and I shared a room for a significant period of time uh, in our childhood, and I think that led to our similarities, at least on some level. When we, were, when we were younger, I think sharing a room was difficult at the time. I think it was actually very difficult for me. There were a lot of times that I I didn't want him in my room at all. I didn't want to deal with him at all. Being the older brother between the two of us, being the older one, I wanted my own space. I didn't want my little brother always around, things like that. I don't think I had any... I don't think I had any respect for him when we were growing up because he just turned into that annoying little brother for a period of time. And eventually when I got my own room, uh, my parents eventually took him out of that room and put him somewhere else because I practically just, I just pestered and pestered and told my parents that I, I wanted my own room or I wanted that room to myself. The, the bedroom that we shared was actually a, a, a large bedroom in the basement, and you know, separated from the rest of the house. It was different. It was like a little dungeon and it was it was basically a rec room that was uh that got my, my dad finished. You know, it was all it was it was done nice, but the rest of the basement was not finished, it was just an unfinished dungeon. So and you had to walk through that basement dungeon to get to the bedroom. It was in the on the opposite end of the house from the staircase. So it was truly a it was truly a separate private layer from the rest of the house and I think I really liked that and I didn't like sharing that with him. I I liked having that that separate space but it was like an illusion of separation from the rest of the household because my little brother would always be down there or at least had open access rights being that it was his room too. So eventually when i convinced my parents to take him out and move him to a different part of the house it was like man i had i had this whole thing to myself and and i i loved it that was that was going into my teenage years that i finally got it to myself and as we got older i think i think some of those experiences of sharing a room were um what kind of got us closer. Even though I didn't see it at the time or I didn't recognize it at the time, I definitely didn't feel close with him at the time. It wasn't until we got older into adulthood that I think we got as close as we are now. But there's one story, there's one thing that I remember, and I don't think I'll ever forget. I don't know exactly why I remember this particular story, but I, I do. I remember... One night, in the middle of the night, uh, before he had moved out, we're still sharing this room, and I don't know, I must have been must have been 10, 11 years old, something like that, and I was not feeling well, I was sick, and in the middle of the night, I got up, and I felt like I was going to puke, and so I started walking from the bedroom uh, towards the bathroom, so we had a bathroom in the basement, which was also nice. This was almost like a private bathroom that was like just for us. That was like another huge benefit to this room because it was a bathroom in the basement. Of course, the rest of the family could use it, but why would they? Because there was a bathroom on their floors upstairs. So I start walking towards the bathroom, and in order to get to the bathroom, you have to walk past the laundry. So I'm walking past the laundry, and this is an old, uh, old house that was built in the 1890s. And by the laundry, there's uh, these old stationary tubs in, in the in the basement. All the basements in these old houses have these these big stationary tubs, these old-fashioned tubs. and and some houses nowadays they get rid of those and they put in like regular sinks or things like that. But uh, my mom is real into that uh, old fashioned type stuff. so she has a lot of the original, fixtures still in the house, which is actually really cool. Now I have it. now that I'm older, I have an appreciation for some of that stuff, and I think that's kind of cool. But anyways, so she, so they, that stationary tub was still there. So I'm walking past the laundry, trying to get to the bathroom, and uh, just I feel like I'm gonna puke. And all of a sudden, as I'm passing that stationary tub, I realize that I'm not gonna make it to the bathroom. And it's probably like two o'clock in the morning. Everybody, the rest of the house is asleep, and. So I just I I just puke right there in in the uh, in the stationary tub and like I said I I must have been ten eleven something like that uh, my brother's three years younger so he must have been like seven ish something like that I don't know um so I puke right there in the stationary tub two o'clock in the morning and I'm just a little kid I've, <laughs> I have no idea what to do I have no idea how to clean this up I have no idea how to clean myself up because of course it's kind of around my face and I was trying to hold it in and so it's kind of it kind of got everywhere I'm sorry this is probably a really disgusting story the more I think about this but um so I just kind of stood there I didn't I didn't have any paper towels I didn't have any napkins I didn't have any toilet paper because I didn't make it to the bathroom so I didn't I didn't know what to do like um so I remember uh I started just like calling to my brother who was sleeping uh you know, 20 feet away, whatever, back in the bedroom, and I start calling out to him, and hoping I can get him to wake up, because I don't, I, I, like I said, I was just a paranoid little kid, I had no idea what to do, so I'm calling out to him, and he comes out, comes out of the bedroom, sees me, kind of just like bending over the stationary tub there, can see that I just puked everywhere, because it's all over me, it's all over the tub, it's, you know, and I remember, and I was like, I was like, can you go get mom and dad or can you like help me or something? Because I don't know what to do. And he kind of looked at me, walked past me. Uh, he's like, it's okay. yeah, I'll go get mom and dad. And as he walked by me, I remember. And like I said, I remember weird parts about this story. I honestly don't know why I remember this story, but I, I remember it very vividly. Uh, so he walks by me. And, and as he walks by, he puts, his, he puts his hand on my back and he rubs my back. And he's like, it's okay. I'll go get mom and dad. And just that comfort in that, in that moment of 30 seconds ago, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. I was the only one awake in the house. I had just puked everywhere, made a mess everywhere. And I'm a little kid that has no clue how to clean this up. And I just feel like crap because I'm still sick. I just want to go back to bed and I don't know what to do. And I'm in this frozen moment that I don't know what to do. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I have no idea how to get from here cleaned up and back to bed where I'm going to be happy again. I had no idea how to do that. And suddenly, you know, 30 seconds go by and suddenly I have a little brother who I don't really get along with or who I don't want to share a room with, who I don't want to be anywhere near. I have a little brother who is actually going to help me now and makes me realize that I am glad to be, to be close to him. You know, this physical closeness, the fact that he's close enough that I can call out to him, wake him up in the middle of the night and have him go get mom and dad to help fix this problem that I'm having. And I don't think I ever I don't think I ever told him how much that moment meant to me, even though it was so many years ago and it wasn't it, it was a couple years after that that he finally moved out of the room and I I think I forgot about that story. I it, I kind of put it on the back burner. I didn't really I forgot how he made me feel because, you know, the next day, you know, being a little kid, the next day, I kind of just forgot about it. I never, I don't think I ever said thank you to him for that. Um, I don't think I ever, I don't think he ever really realized how much I appreciated that, that moment. Um, Probably even to this day. But... Looking back on it now, and like I said, I I still have this memory. I'll probably have this memory for forever now. And it made me realize that as a little kid, he was, somewhere along the lines, he was taught how to treat other people. And he was taught those things. And Because I, I guarantee there's some 7, 8-year-olds that wouldn't even do that. And maybe they would, but they wouldn't have the sensitivity to put a hand on the person's back, rub their back for a second and say, it's going to be okay. And here's my little brother doing those things to me. You know, it was, it it's, it's weird. It's, it's weird how that happened. But growing up, you know, I had, I had two really good parents. I had a good family. I, they taught us well, you know, I grew, all four of us grew up and are all four of us, are successful, You know, we're, we're all in different career fields. We're all doing our own thing, uh, but we're all successful. I think my parents are super proud of the fact that they are four for four in success rate of parenting because we all turned out amazing. But some of those childhood experiences that we have definitely go with us for the rest of our lives. Sharing a room with my younger brother who I didn't get along with and I didn't want there and all those things made me really want uh, to be alone. It made me really crave that ability to get away from everyone else. I think it got so ingrained in me for so long that when he did move move out of that bedroom and I suddenly had this basement suite to myself, it was such a great feeling and then not long after that is when I started getting uh, into who is now my ex-wife. So all of a sudden that space that I gained was gone again and I wasn't really alone. And looking back on it now, I think it's kind of similar to, it, it's a similar idea to as when you get out of a serious relationship and everybody's telling you you need to figure out who you are, you need to be single for a while, you need to, you need to have your alone time for a while, uh, because if you jump right into another relationship, you know, the next day, it's not going to be good. It's just going to be a rebound, and it's going to crash and burn, because when you get out of something serious, you have to uh, spend some time alone. And it's it's a lot of the same principles, because when my brother left, now I'm alone, but I don't think I savored that moment for as long as I should have. I ended up, I ended up in a relationship, and... I didn't live with her, so I still had that basement suite to myself, but I still didn't get the alone time that I needed because now I ended up uh, with her. I got very close to her very fast. I kind of told some of that story uh, to you a couple weeks ago, how we ended up close, what ended up happening in our relationship, all of that. We came to Vegas. Coming to Vegas was a way to get space, a way to get away from my family, a way to get away from uh, the way they were. My family is very. Uh, they're very close. Um, we always were. We would do family vacations uh, all the time growing up. Both my parents were teachers, so they had summers off, so all summer long, you know, my friends, their parents would go to work and stuff, and my friends would be left home alone or have to do, you know, depending on their age, they'd have to go somewhere like some type of daycare or go to someone else's house or whatever the case was because their parents worked, but I didn't have that, so all summer long, I'm in the same, you know, my parents are there, they don't go to work, so we're with them all the time. And we get to do those family vacations and things like that. But as we got older, it was kind of like, I need to get away from my parents. You know, as kids grow up, it's kind of natural to start to crave that independence. But it's hard to get that independence when you can't, you don't get any time away from your parents, you know. So you could be a teenager and especially when you have a close family and a family that you know, parents that are going to take you when they go somewhere, they're going to, um, you know, holidays are always spent with family, stuff like that. All those things, uh, and family was always very important. My family was, well, still is, very religious. My my parents, my sisters, uh, my brother and I are not, uh, not anymore. Um, but... We grew up around religion. We grew up in that... uh, I don't even know how to explain it. We grew up in that idea that family is super important. But what I'm trying to say is that that closeness of the family unit kind of pushed me out in a way. I think I got pushed out from how close the family was expected to be. And when I look at it, I kind of think the same thing happened to my brother on a certain level because now like now that we're adults and stuff, when we get together for like Christmas or something like that, my parents and my sisters want to do this, and my brother and I are kind of like, okay, yeah. Um we'll be a part of it, but you know, we're it's not I don't know. I guess when I sit there around with my family, sometimes I just feel like the outsider, and I've kind of always felt like that, especially now since I'm the one that moved away. Ironically, to get away from them in some, in some level. The craving of, of space and independence. Our family was so close, and our parents cared so much about our success as teenagers and as young adults... That they really pushed for certain things. Okay, They really pushed for college. They were upset at my younger brother when he decided he didn't want to go to college. He's successful now. He's very successful now. He didn't need that degree for the line of work that he wanted to get into. He has talents. He has skills. He has work ethic, discipline, all those things that... Some of those things, like some of the talent comes naturally, but a lot of it is, uh, is is trained skill, you know, from going to a good school, having good teachers, things like that. Of course, having the positive role models of our parents, you know, all those things like work ethic and responsibility. Those are all things that all of us learned from our parents. That stuff was all ingrained in us from our parents and our parents having high expectations. Like I said, they wanted us to go to college. Three of us did. Uh, one of us didn't, but all four of us are still successful we we still all came to a successful path at the end of the day. Uh, my parents didn't want uh, me to get married young that was a that was a that was a point of conflict uh, when I was younger. in fact, even before marriage, I had a hard time seeing that they were even happy with me being with this girl because she clashed so much with my older sister. And looking back on it now, you know, hindsight's 2020, 20. of course my now ex-wife turned out to be not so great of a person if I had just trusted my sister's inkling of her years ago. I'm I'm talking about when we first started dating, you know, was 16, 17 years old right in there. And my 17 18 year old sister couldn't get along with her I should have seen it then but of course I was you know in my own in my own state of mind I was like no this is the person I'm in love with this is the person I'm going to spend my time with blah 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 my parents actually I remember a conversation that my parents had to sit both me and my sister down had to sit both of us down and we did discuss these things because it was getting to be ridiculous how much conflict was created by this relationship. And then I ended up marrying her. My parents didn't want me to get married young. And by that point, they had no problem with her or with the relationship. They just, you know, they just didn't want us to get married so young. They wanted us to wait, things like that. But we ended up being uh, stubborn and we got married anyways, didn't wait. I went to school to be a teacher. That's what I wanted to do, and it wasn't until the end of my time teaching that I decided, you know what, this is not for me. By the end of my sorry, it wasn't until by the end of my time uh, in that degree program, uh, my four year degree, that I realized this isn't for me. This isn't what I want to do. Both my parents were teachers. Uh, my older sister is is a teacher now. So it was just kind of part of the part of the family essentially. And I was really, really worried to tell them about uh, my decision to change career fields, go into government work, public safety type work, uh, get out of teaching, dealing with kids, completely different line of work from what I was originally studying. And I remember, (laughs) I remember sitting at a restaurant with my family and I was like, I need to tell them soon because I've made this decision and I'm, you know, I'm 20, 20 years old. I made this decision for myself, for what I want to do, but I need to find a way to tell them. And I remember sitting in this restaurant and my parents had asked something along the lines of some tests that I had to do for uh to get, you know, my state license to be a teacher. So they were asking about this test, and they were somewhat familiar with it because my older sister was one year ahead of me in school. And she was also studying to become a teacher. So everything that she did for state licensure, you know, she was one year ahead. So, you know, when she would take a test or she would do this or that, whatever... They, my parents would know that. Okay, a year from now, I would have to do that. So they were relatively familiar with what was required for my major. So they were asking about this test because they were like, "Oh, don't don't you have to take this this test? Praxis, that's what it was called. Don't you have to take the, take this Praxis two test? Uh, like your sister did. That's got to be coming up, right? And by this time, I had already kind of changed change my mind. I was already set in what I wanted to do and. I remember just at the restaurant telling them, like, we can't talk about this here. And they were like, why? Well, why can't you tell us about the test here? Like, I don't get it. And I was like, there's a lot more to it. And I need to, like, actually talk to you guys. And I don't want to talk to you here. And they were like, okay, so what do you want to do? And I was like, when we go home, I just, I want to have a real conversation with you guys. And I remember them kind of looking at me like, oh, okay. Like, I could tell that they had no idea what was coming. And so we went home, sat down on the couch in the living room, and my mom looked at me, and I just remember she said, so what's up? And I was like, uh, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. I don't, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with them that scared me more than this one, and I, I, looking back, I think it's kind of silly, you know, it's kind of silly that I cared so much what they thought, or what their opinion was, when I was like, like I said, I think I was like 20, the only reason that they were interested is because of this test, and because, you know, they were, they were the ones doing my, my FAFSA for my federal student aid, and student loans and stuff so they needed to know when I was going to be in school and stuff like that but other than that I mean I was I was an adult you know this this was my decision it was my life but I cared so much about their reaction I remember sitting on the couch and I was like I was on the verge of breaking down this was such a stressful conversation for me it was it was easily the most stressful conversation I ever had with them Which is crazy to me because fast forward a few years when I had to tell them that I was getting a divorce and that my marriage was ending and their brand new baby granddaughter, their only granddaughter, was going to have to go between two households, divorced parents and all that. And I was telling them that that conversation didn't stress me out as bad because I already had that physical distance. I had that separation. I lived in Vegas. They lived in Wisconsin. I could get away from them. That was that fear from when I was younger. Like I said, in especially high school years, they were always in the house during summer and stuff like that because their their schedules. They didn't do anything in the summer. I couldn't get away from them. So those those conversations in my early adulthood, in my you know late teens, early twenties. Those conversations were really, really difficult because of the fact that I had no separation. I couldn't get away from them. And then, so as time got on, as time went on, I kept looking for that separation, and uh, e- eventually, you know, I got that separation by moving almost two thousand miles away. People say that people with borderline personality disorder take a problem, they magnify it. 50 times and then they react to that problem but there it's such an overreaction or such an exaggeration of what should be done. I don't have any regrets about coming to Las Vegas but when I look back at some of the some of the reasons some of the reasons were really dumb. I wanted separation from my family but there's that overreaction of rather than move 20 minutes away or 30 minutes away and get a little bit of separation to where they're not just going to show up and I, I can get away from them when I want to get away from them. Rather than do something like that, something reasonable, instead I <laughs> jump on a plane and move nearly 2,000 miles away. and Now I see them maybe two, three times a year. That's quite the overreaction to a situation that's really not that bad. I really don't have a, that bad of a relationship with my family. Sometimes I struggle to get along with them nowadays. They had a hard time uh, they had a hard they had a really hard time uh, with my divorce. And like I said, that was a difficult conversation for me to have. The fact that I was getting divorced, but I had the separation from them. I didn't have to deal with them personally or physically. But through that experience, I got to see how much power they still have over my emotions because I got to see how their lack of acceptance of my getting divorced, I got to see how that affected me. I got to see how their worldview, which was a religious one, their religious worldview was so anti-divorce that it turned into anti-me. I was the one choosing to, divor- to do the divorce. I was the one who filed the papers. My ex, to the, to the end, said that she wanted to work it out and, and stay with me. I was not happy that uh, I wasn't willing to anymore. So my family looked at me as the one who was leaving my pregnant wife. What an awful thing to do. So my family... This is everyone but my brother. This was my sisters and my parents. We're not, we're not happy about that that idea. Um, they they had a really tough time accepting that. We got into a lot of arguments. Even during the process uh, when I found out that, well, and it, just in conversations, my my parents would defend my ex, like if I would tell them something that she did, you know, related to a court battle that we had or uh, anything related to this while the divorce was going through. It was a 15 month long process. So it was not an easy, it was not an easy divorce. There were a lot of custody issues. There were a lot of financial issues, different things like that, that took a long time to, to resolve. So it was a 15 month divorce. But during those 15 months, a lot of it was I couldn't share anything with my parents anymore because they would just defend her. You know, I would say, I can't believe she's doing this. Look at what she's doing. And my parents would say, well, she's just mad. You just have to accept the fact that she's just angry. And that was their justification for everything. She could do no wrong in their mind, and that really irritated me. I found out that they were in contact with her and, you know, emailing with her or calling her, you know, talking to her, whatever, still being basically still being parents to her which i get it to a point you know she's still the mother of their grandchild so i get them wanting to be civil with her and i wish everyone could have remained civil but when she's not being civil to me and she's treating me like trash you know at, at a certain point i i definitely felt like they wanted her and their family more than me and they were destroying that relationship with me because I didn't want anything to do with them. I didn't want to talk to them. I didn't want to see them. I wanted nothing to do with them and and for the first time really then, I was very happy to be 1800 miles away from them. Things have gotten better since then. But it was it was some dark times. And I'm at 45 minutes now or I could say so much more on this but I want to get into what I want you to do with this story that I told you so I told you a little bit about how my family upbringing affected me and the way I think the way I think about separation the way I think about acceptance things like that Um, I didn't even get into the topics of abandonment which I really wanted to but apparently I talk way too much, but I don't want to, I don't want to drag this out super long. So I'll talk about abandonment. Uh, Maybe we maybe we'll continue this topic next week. We'll see. Um, But what I want you to do is I want you to think about your own family, your family dynamics, your childhood. I want you to think about the personalities that are in your family, specifically your siblings. Your parent personalities are not as significant to this because you tend to be physically closer with your siblings, especially if you, I mean, if you, if you don't have them, that's kind of, if you don't have any siblings, that's, that's a difficult thing to think about. But, uh, if you have brothers, sisters, especially if you have a big family, think about each of those siblings and what their personality traits are. Think about how they were when they were younger. Think about how they are now. And, Think about some interactions that you had with them that you know some memories that maybe, uh, that maybe stick with you of how they treated you well or how they didn't treat you well at, at, in a, in a given situation. Like I shared the scenario with my brother and when I got sick in the middle of the night, things like that. I want you to take all of that and combine it into the next thing that I want you to write about in that notebook that you bought. So, that notebook, I want to talk a little bit about that for just a few minutes. Last week, I asked you to write about a song. Music is a unique thing. It has amazing therapeutic... uh, It has amazing therapeutic effects on your mind. Because... A little bit of science, and I'm not huge in science, but I'm just going to try to explain this, and maybe I'm getting this way wrong, but this is my understanding of it. So you have a left-side brain and a right-side brain, and they both control different things, and they both have different traits and things like that. You can function basically with just one half or the other because they both do such different things. But one thing that is a universal or a global process that requires the entire brain and utilizes both left and right side brain is music. Music is a global process. It requires both left and right side of the brain, and that's unique because a lot of other things don't require both. A lot of things just require one or the other, left or right. So with that in mind, music activates and touches both sides of your brain. And it's one of the best things. It's one of the best therapeutic things uh, out there. A lot of research suggests that listening to music, especially classical music, things that have no lyrics, things like that, those are really uh have positive effects on you and on your well your mental well-being. So the reason that I had you do this last week, I wanted you to pick out a song I want you to pick a song that speaks to you and then write about it. Why does that song make you feel the way that you do? The reason that I didn't want you to actually physically listen to the song is because when you're done with the assignment and you've written what you've written, I want you to go back and read what you wrote while listening to the song the song on and read what, read what you wrote. If you wrote lyrics down, you're going to notice that parts of it are not even maybe 100% accurate. Parts of it are not going to be, I'm going to be, parts of it might, um, what am I trying to say? Parts of it you might feel differently actually listening to the song versus how you thought you felt when you were imagining the song. Your mind takes things in the outside world and it it makes a collection of memories. But a lot of those memories are not 100% accurate in what actually happened. But your mind remembers things a certain way. It picks up on certain things. Your mind, for example, I'll talk that memory that I shared with my brother in the middle of the night. That's what I remember happening. But if there were some way for me to go back in time and re-witness that incident, there's a couple things that might not be exactly as I remember them. One of the things is age. I honestly don't remember how old we were at that time. I'm guessing, but I don't honestly know. But the, the actual reality of what happened in that situation if it was 3 o'clock in the morning instead of 2 o'clock in the morning that doesn't matter that's not the point of the story the points of the story that matter are the facts that I was in distress I was paranoid I didn't know what to do I called out to my brother he woke up he came out he rubbed me on the back and he said it's going to be okay that's the important parts of the story to be honest with you I don't even remember what happened after that. I don't know if he was able to get mom and dad up. I don't know if mom and dad came downstairs. I don't, I, I don't remember the rest of the story. Because my mind, my mental image of that memory, my mental image is just the moment of him rubbing me on the back saying it's going to be okay. Everything else is, is, is a moot point. So with songs, the actual song... If you picked a... One of my favorite bands is Blue October. If you picked a Blue October song, like I usually do when I do this writing assignment, if you picked a Blue October song, Justin Furstenfeld's experiences when he wrote that song, that's not relevant to you in your mind. What's relevant in your mind is not what Justin Furstenfeld says. It's how your mind interprets it and how your mind makes that song your own song. You picked a certain song because that song speaks to you. But the person who wrote that song knows nothing about you. The song wasn't written for you. But your mind makes it your own. And in order to make it your own, you can't be listening to Justin Furstenfeld's actual words. Because again, those weren't written for you. Your mind has taken that song and made something of its own. So when you do the writing assignment... The point of the writing assignment is to realize that your mind takes things from the outside world and it makes them its own. Like I always talk about people with borderline, people with borderline personality disorder, their emotions are extremely hypersensitive and react to everything in the outside world. Everything becomes a part of me. Everything I see, everything I hear, everything I touch. Every experience I have gets drawn into myself, and my mind makes that into my own experience. It becomes my experience. And the same goes true with songs, but if you take a song that makes you feel good, a song that speaks to you, a song that, that tells you something about life that you value, your mind takes that and it makes it its own. And you can tap into that emotional center of the brain even if you don't have borderline personality disorder, and you can control that emotional response subconsciously because your mind is taking this song, which creates an emotional response in you, and it's making its own version of that song. And the only way for you to hear that version, you have to sit in a quiet room, you have to close your eyes, and you have to hear the song in your mind. And that's what this writing assignment forces you to do. So if you didn't get to do that last week, please do it. Please do it. Please try it. And then, like I said, when you're done after, you've done, after you've done it, I usually write a page to a page and a half on one song. You can write as much or as little as you want. I'll write a page to a page and a half on one song, sometimes two pages, you know, somewhere in that general area. But try to get at least a page. That would be outstanding. If you can get at least a page on one song, That make that your goal. If you did do it already, uh, do, do it again. Do it again with a different song. I know that everybody's got more than one song that they love, so pick a different song and do it again. Um, and then, like I said, when you're done, take the notebook, put the pen down, take the notebook, read what you wrote while you listen to the actual song, and you'll notice things, and you'll start to see what I'm talking about, that your mental version of the song is slightly varied from the actual song itself. The actual song itself is not the important part. The important part is how your mind processes it, how your mind receives it, how, how your mind remembers it, all those things, because we want that internal process. That's that's what's important here. So in addition to that music, the song assignment, if, that, if that's not working for you or whatever, something else that I would like you to consider uh, writing about is... Uh, all these family dynamics that I talked about today, all these experiences, uh, find all those things, um, differences in your family, members, differences between you and your siblings, all those things, different experiences that you had growing up. I want you to write about all that stuff and see if you can draw some conclusions about who you are today and how it's related to uh, some things that you experienced as as a child or as a teenager and how do those things how do you carry those things with you into who you are today because I guarantee you'll find some, you'll discover something about yourself. This is a little bit of a longer writing assignment uh, there's a lot of different things that you could write about obviously When I do this writing assignment and I think about uh, and I think about uh, my family my family dynamics, I could easily write 10, 15, 20 pages on this So this is a longer project uh, It's a longer process you don't have to write that much. What I want you to do is, if you can, over the next week, I want you to aim to write two pages about uh, about anything to do with your family, your family dynamics, your upbringing, anything at all like that. I want you to aim for two pages. If you get two really good pages and you look back on what you wrote and you look back on what you've been thinking about about your family, I think you're going to be able to prompt yourself to write even more. I think that's not a difficult thing, especially if you're enjoying this process of, of writing and therapeutic journaling. I think you'll be able to write a ton more because who you are, your personality is so ingrained from your childhood and your upbringing and what type of family you come from because we all come from different families and different backgrounds and all that stuff. I want to leave you with this. I I found a video on YouTube that... Was put together by a young man i don't know how old he was i i wasn't able to find that anywhere but he tells an amazing story about an experience that he had with a close family member and it's a touching story so i want to play this for you and i want you to always keep this in mind uh with family and not just your blood family but who you choose to be in your family those close close friends that you have close to you in the beginning i talked about uh, i played that clip from oprah winfrey she talks about removing toxicity So we're going to end the week with a reminder on how you need to treat people that are close to you. And even despite everything that I told you about how I wanted to get away from them, that separation and that distance and especially stories like this remind me why my family is, even through all that, is still very, very important to me. They're the most important people in my life. The way my parents raised me, the way uh, I interacted with my siblings, good and bad, all those experiences brought me to who I am today, and those people will always be the most important people in my life, no matter whatever happens, because they're my family. And this story really drives that home. So, we're gonna close out the week with this story. So, I hope you, en- I hope you enjoy, uh, I hope you enjoy this guy's story. It's a bit of a tearjerker, I think. When I watched it the first time, I was like, "Oh my god, what a story!"
2: It was September 30th, 2008, when the doctor came in and he just said that my mom had a cardiac arrest. They told me uh, that I had to make a decision. They said we can do A, we could try to revive her, but we'll probably break every bone in her body and she's feeling all the pain. Or B, you know, we'll just let life take its course. and. we'll let her pass in peace so frantically i had a minute to decide what i had to decide either life or or this and um you know i was told not to let the decision that i was gonna make at that moment haunt me for the rest of my life so i made the decision to let her go i remember i just laid at her side and i was just weeping like crazy i told her everything i was grateful for i told her thank you so much for how you raised me and the sad thing about it is that was the only time i did it I never did it before. I never told my mom how much I loved her. I never told her. Um, I never told her anything until that moment. Um, after that, I remember I kissed her and I said goodbye. I uh, I went inside the waiting room. Um, I heard all these noises again, but no pitter patter of the feet, no nothing, you know. And I remember I looked it up and I was like, "Is it over?" And he said, "Yeah, it's over." To this day, she's always in the back of my mind every time I do my schoolwork. Um, everything I do because she's just taught me how to love, how to be kind, how to be real, how to be genuine towards people. Um, live every second as if you're at your last, and um, always help the poor. Live simply so other people can simply live.